history tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 78th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And today we are going to be talking about the legend of Mercy Brown. This legend is going to take us once again into the world of vampires. Denise, it seems almost like we have a vampire theme this month. Do you think that has anything to do with October 31st? Maybe. I mean, we had Bron Castle, Chiquita Castle, and now the legend of Mercy Brown. Do want to apologize ahead of time. I now have the cold as well. So both Denise and I have the wonderful, lovely, not great radio voices, so... Hopefully you can bear with us. I'm hoping that they get in better shape for us to read our scary stories for Halloween. Maybe we'll have really creepy sounding voices. No kidding. We'll be like, (laughs) we'll be like, (laughs) either that or we'll just sound like we've had one too many cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) That could be true as well. We want to point you in the direction of our website. Check it out at historygoesbump.com. And if you want to send us an email to get a hold of us for some reason, Denise, what is that address? It's going to be at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We have some more people to welcome into the Spooktacular crew. We've been joined by Shelby. Hey, Shelby. Tracy. Hi, Tracy. And she sent us some really cool photos from a cemetery. Yes, she did. Stephanie. Hey, Stephanie. And Mary. Hi, Mary. And over at iTunes, we got a couple more five-star reviews. I believe this name is Zang, X-A-N-G. Love it. Every vacation I go on, I try to talk people into going on a ghost tour. This podcast is great because it's like a ghost tour for places I don't get to go to. The hosts are funny and delightful, and this podcast is educational and entertaining without creeping me out, so I could listen to it late into the night. My favorite segment is The Oddities. Awesome. Very awesome. Well, if we're ever in your town, we would be happy to go on a ghost tour with you. Yeah, you wouldn't have to twist our arms at all. And also, Gone Fishing, 73, five stars all the way. Very informative and a delight to listen to. These ladies will teach you about historical hauntings and have you laughing at the same time. Great podcast. Well, thank you so much to both of you for those wonderful reviews. We appreciate those. Very much so. Denise, are you ready to share with everyone the story of Mercy Brown and, more importantly, the vampire craze of New England? I certainly am. Let's do it. All righty. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. On the Blackwoods Road of Maine originates the tale of a female specter. 
When the sun is setting and fog rolls in, many people claim to see the spirit of a decapitated woman named Catherine stalking the road between Franklin and Cherryfield on Route 182. The story of how Catherine lost her head involves a car accident, or possibly a carriage accident. You see, the legend of Catherine's Hill has many different tellings depending on the decade and the storyteller. People are warned to respect the space where the specter is seen and are directed to not take anything home with them. If a passerby should see Catherine on the side of the road, they must attempt to pick her up or she will curse them. It is said that one young man sped past the apparition and when he looked in his rearview mirror, he saw Catherine sitting in his back seat. He ended up crashing his car and dying. How do people know he saw Catherine? Well, that is what legends are about after all. Many people claim to feel a presence, and one TV reporter who visited the area for a story remarked that something was pressed against her back the whole time. Now that certainly is odd. Are you afraid of the dark? That's just silly. What you should be afraid of is the thing that watches you sleep. <laughs> This Day in History On this day, October 25th in 1854, the Charge of the Light Brigade occurred during the Crimea War. Many people are probably familiar with the Lord Tennyson poem about the Charge of the Light Brigade. The third stanza gives all the horrible details. Cannon to right of them, cannon to left of them, cannon in front of them, volleyed and thundered. Stormed at with shot and shell, boldly they rode and well, into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell, rode the 600. The Light Brigade was a British cavalry made up of the 13th Light Dragoons, 4th Light Dragoons, 17th Lancers, 8th Hussars, and 11th Hussars. They were facing Russian forces, and unfortunately, in the fog of war, orders were either miscommunicated or misunderstood, and the Light Brigade, which was supposed to pursue a retreating Russian artillery, instead went for a frontal assault on a different Russian artillery that was well-positioned and much larger. As the poem describes, the small force was surrounded and shot at from all sides. The casualties were high and the small division was forced to retreat. While historians have argued for decades about what really happened, there's no doubt among any of them that the Light Brigade showed true valor in facing an obvious outcome. Curioso Podcast. It's the week of Halloween. So get in the spirit. With History Goes Bump. on today's episode, our research assistant is Liana Sapien. Thanks, Liana. Thank you. Most people assume the lore of vampires that originated in Europe stayed in that area, but there was a time when America was embroiled in the middle of a vampire craze in New England. It was the 1800s and the dreaded consumption was wreaking havoc. 
Many families lost several of their members. One of those families was the Brown family. It was the death of one of their daughters that started the legend of Mercy Brown. Were there really vampires in America, and was Mercy one of them? Join us as we investigate the history of this craze and a young woman named Mercy Brown. A few podcasts ago, we covered the Salem witch trials. New England was swept up in a craze about witches during that time, and it would seem that superstition still ran high in this area, even after it was apparent that what happened in Salem and other parts of New England was terribly wrong. In the late 1800s, tuberculosis started running rampant throughout the area. The Brown family lived in Exeter, Rhode Island. Exeter was sparsely populated, and the Civil War had decimated the town's numbers. Soon, something else would lower the population even more. The Brown family consisted of George, his wife Mary Eliza, and their children. George was a farmer and well-respected, so it was tragic when his wife Mary took ill. By 1883, she had died, and the eldest daughter, Mary Olive, was sick. She died seven months after her mother. At the time, tuberculosis of the lungs was referred to as consumption because it took a while to kill its victims. They seemed to waste away as they coughed up blood. The ill would grow pale and stop eating. Eventually, they would look almost like what most people would assume a vampire would appear to look like. One out of four people were dying from the disease. Rumors and superstitions instilled fear that perhaps something other than disease was happening here. And when one family seemed to have more deaths than others, town folk wondered if perhaps a family of vampires was living in their midst. A few years passed, and life went back to normal for the remaining members of the Brown family. Everyone was happy and healthy, until George's son Edwin took ill. Knowing what the disease could possibly do to Edwin, George rushed his son to a doctor who recommended sending Edwin to Colorado Springs in the hopes that the mineral water would cure Edwin's affliction. The climate of Colorado was believed to help cure people with tuberculosis as well. He improved and returned home only to find that his sister Mercy Elena had taken ill. Mercy was 19, but youth was not on her side. She had contracted what had been termed the galloping variety of tuberculosis. This meant that the disease moved swiftly. Mercy passed away on January 17, 1892. Her body was placed in a stone crypt awaiting the spring thaw to be buried. This helped preserve bodies. Edwin's disease took a turn for the worse, and soon the people of the town started blaming a vampire for the Brown family's woes. They were certain that the vampire was living inside one of the Brown graves. This belief was held in more than just the town of Exeter, at least 80 burials have been found in recent years that appeared to exhibit signs that people had been exhumed and that their bodies desecrated in some way as to stop them from rising from their graves. Henry David Thoreau mentions an exhumation in his journal on September 29, 1859 to prove the point that this panic was a very real historical event. Yes, Denise, and we do have in the show notes a link to a Smithsonian Magazine article that was about some of these exhumations that they had been doing. I believe this was a couple years ago. And it's just fascinating. I had never heard of this period in American history. Salem witch trials, we've heard a lot about. Vampire craze in the same area? I had never heard of it. Well, it makes you wonder, like, what was really going on in that area? Was it, like, not enough light? Too many months of cold? I mean, because <laughs> the rest of America didn't have all those craze. It's all up kind of in that new... No offense to anybody from New England, but it's all kind of centered in that New England area. The Salem Witch Trials, the now vampires. 
So Well, you know, and they have the Bridgewater Triangle up in that area where they have all kinds of weird stuff going on. It just seems like it's the center for oddity, even though we say Florida is. <laughs> it seems maybe we have the corners of the country taken care of because, you know, Washington has their Bigfoot and all that good stuff. So well, this is true. I don't know. It's just California just has California. (laughs) California just has Californians. Oops. (laughs) Nothing against our California listeners. Diane was born in California, by the way. Exactly. But this is just 80 graves that they found. They believe there could be hundreds of them because a lot of graves, especially from this time period, they're long gone. We won't know where those people were buried. But as they were exhuming them, they'd find weird things like skull and crossbones they would like have crossed the arms and put the skull just on top of them on top of the bodies and just all kinds of weirdness with edwin growing sicker and weaker george was getting desperate he did not want to lose his son and he started to believe that perhaps the neighbors were right and a vampire was stalking his family this vile undead thing had to be entering his son's room at night the only thing to be done was to exhume his family members and find out who was the culprit Imagine how desperate these people in New England must have been to exhume their loved ones. It was happening all over. Dr. Harold Metcalf joined George and a few other town folk in taking part in an old folk remedy. Together, on March 17, 1892, they exhumed the bodies of Mary Eliza, Mary Olive, and Mercy to find if any of them were vampires. Mary Eliza and Mary Olive's skeletons were all that remained. However... Mercy's body was still fully intact because she'd been placed in the cool crypt, and it was winter. Decompensation had not really begun. The two men also believed that they found fresh blood on her body. Mercy Brown was the vampire. As was the practice in that day, Mercy's body was cut open, and when her organs were found to still be full of blood, everyone was certain that the ritual that they were about to embark upon was right. Mercy's heart was removed and burned. The ashes were collected and mixed with water so that Edwin could drink the concoction. It was believed that this would cure Edwin of the vampire attacks and break the spell. Edwin was obviously not cured. Within two months, consumption had taken his life as well. Historically, it is recorded that Mercy Brown was the last vampire exhumation. Newspapers of the day, like the Providence Journal, reported the story and referred to what was done as barbaric. This seemed to have helped stop the practice of exhuming bodies. So I think that's one of the reasons why Mercy Brown became more famous is because this was the last one. The newspapers were reporting it. And I think because it made such big news, they were like, we got to stop doing this. People are going to think we're crazy. Too late. <laughs> exactly. In Bram Stoker's Dracula, Dr. Seward writes in his diary, quote, There are such beings as vampires. Some of us have evidence that they exist. Even had we not the proof of our own unhappy experience, the teachings and the records of the past give proof enough for sane peoples, end quote. The people of Exeter and elsewhere were sane people. They got caught up in a craze. But what they did may have left lasting effects in the afterlife. Desecrating bodies and the emotions around this seem to have led some spirits to hang around, particularly Mercy Brown's spirit. And a little fun fact, it is believed the story of Mercy Brown inspired Bram Stoker as well, and that Lucy is based on mercy. Very cool. To this day, visitors of the Chestnut Hill Cemetery in Exeter, Rhode Island, report strange occurrences surrounding Mercy Brown's grave. Stories of seeing the ghost of Mercy Brown taking a stroll along the graveyard are told by visitors. The sound of a young woman crying is heard, and even a bright blue light near Mercy's tombstone has been seen by some guests. Locals say that if you hide behind the tombstone of a man named William C. Johnson, 
and looked through the tombstone square hole towards Mercy's grave on a moonlit October night, you may see the ghost of Mercy Brown walking through the cemetery. And a tradition had grown around the idea that one can make Mercy appear by knocking on her grave three times and asking, Mercy L. Brown, are you a vampire? Mercy will appear to you or speak to you. There is a bridge near the cemetery that some claim Mercy visits. The faint smell of roses can be detected when she is nearby. And there are those who are terminally ill that claim Mercy has come to visit them to tell them that dying really isn't so bad after all. In 2011, two teenage girls died in a car accident while on the way home from a moonlight visit to Mercy's grave along Purgatory Road. Mercy made a quilt that Brown family descendants still have to this day with a pattern that is called the wandering foot. A legend claims that if someone sleeps under a quilt with this pattern, then that person will be doomed to roam the earth forever. Surely Mercy herself had slept beneath the quilt. Is this the cause of her unrest? So, were there ever vampires in New England? Did New Englanders allow themselves to get carried away again a hundred years after the witch trials? Does Mercy Brown's spirit still walk among us because of the false accusations? Is she searching for her heart? That is for you to decide. Very interesting piece of history. Yes, it is. It's one I never, like you said, I'd never heard of it. There's so much about Salem, but nothing about this. Now, if you guys have really been into the talk that we've been doing when it comes to vampires, Christopher and Joe over at the Curioso podcast did a whole episode on vampires. And I was so excited when I was listening because I'd been working on the research for Mercy Brown and they mentioned her and the New England vampire craze. And so I was like, oh, how cool. They're talking about it as well. So they've got a lot more in-depth into the whole vampire lore. So if you want to check that out, I would highly recommend it to you guys. We have one more show, and then we're going to have our Halloween roundtable, and then, of course, our Halloween special where the listeners are going to scare the listeners instead Yay. of us doing it. <laughs> Creepy listeners. Yeah, it's amazing how many of our listeners have had some pretty amazing experiences. Absolutely. When we read their stories, it's just like, oh my gosh. Well, we want to thank you guys for listening to this one. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Executive producers of this episode have been Leanna Sapien, April Rogers-Crick, Nicole Johnson, Tanya Turner, Amy Connor, Dave and Ann Student, Heather Williams, Jade Lewis, Stephen Pappas, Patty Henry, Janice Carlson, Dan Foytick, Rachel Cooper, and Levi Drescher. Thank you. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump. Listen, the M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review.